0: Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists, and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics, and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Welcome to
1: The Bill Walton Show. I'm Bill Walton. Well, a little over a year ago, I opened my show with Jay Richards with this uh, statement. It's now October 2020, and it looks like the worst of the virus is long behind us. And yet we are still in the midst of of a pandemic of fear that is far worse than the virus. And it's a crisis that has basically divided the country into two camps, open America up or keep it shut down. Well, that was then, and this is now, and now seems worse and it seems to have morphed from uh, a government measures to stop the spread of an unstoppable virus into some existential threat and that's an overused word but I do think it is an existential threat to our liberties liberties and civil rights not just here in the United States but worldwide Uh, joining me to talk about this is James Patrick documentary filmmaker Whose film uh, Planet Lockdown is coming out uh, January 15th in 2022. And Jay Richards, frequent guest, uh, author of Price of Panic, who is now the William E. Simon Senior Research Fellow at the Heritage Foundation and is the author of more than a dozen books. John, James, (laughs) Jay, great to see you. Good to see you, Jay. Why don't you kick us off? Give some context for where we are right now as you see it.
0: Absolutely. So as you said, a year ago, when we wrote The Price of Panic, it was focused mainly on the unintended consequences of the lockdown. People assumed that lockdowns were some uh, tried and true measure to prevent the spread of a respiratory virus. In fact, they were a hypothesis waiting to be tested, and the human race ended up being the subjects of the experiment. Uh, I think we showed, and a lot of people have showed since then, that in fact, the lockdowns don't correlate to a reduction in the spread of the virus. They just don't work uh, that's, that's the, the, the moderately bad news. The really bad news, uh, is that they do a great deal of harm. So they're all pain and no gain, but that's what we were really talking about certain fall of, of 2020. We were talking about the problems with the lockdowns. Now, of course, we're talking about a heck of a lot more. We've got uh, the vaccines, we've got vaccine mandates, and now, uh, we're hearing tell of vaccine passports in which people can't exercise their, their basic rights unless they've been, properly vaccinated, and that of course is a moving target. And as you said, I do, I think this is, this is an ex- existential threat to, to our liberties and to our freedom. And here's the problem as I see it. Uh, there's never a good time to put your foot in for an incremental tyranny. Uh, we always expect tyranny to come in, in sort of one fell swoop. The troops march across the Maginot Line or something like that, now, that, now it's time. But this is an incremental tyranny in which each little detail is, doesn't seem like that big a deal. Well, just wear this this silly mask. Well, you know, don't go to the grocery store. Just, just get a shot. Uh, there's never any obvious time. Uh, and so I think it, it takes a bit of discernment to understand what's happening in the big picture. And I think at this point, my hope is that it's gotten so far along that more and more people will be aware of that.
1: Well, I think if we do our job and keep getting the word out, maybe we can nip this nip this i won't say in the bud long past <laughs> <Yeah>. the
0: bud it's <laughs> pretty long and
1: long in branch yeah. yeah james your film is extraordinary very very uh, well researched and you've you've traveled the world to get the leading experts to uh bring their stories forth and their points of view forth. talk about uh, talk about that what gave you the idea how did uh, how did it bring about how long did it take to make and
2: uh, yeah it took about a year and a half now and um yeah, I was just very upset when I heard lockdown, and it seemed to me more of an economic takedown measure to to help big business and destroy small business. But within a few weeks of the lockdown, there was I was seeing advertisements for immunity passports. It looked like tens of millions of dollars were being pumped into these companies to the talk of these vaccines, and I could tell this was headed in a very dark direction. So, out of uh, after a few months sitting at home like everyone else, I was just restless and and so upset about what was going on i i I said i have to do something about it and um so i decided to make a film about it and um put 40 grand on zero interest credit cards to buy the equipment and and set out to do it and and by christmas uh the situation was developing so quickly i decided to just release all the full interviews in full and i think christmas i started putting them out a year ago and um They've been getting, you know, millions of views, and I put up 40 interviews.
1: But we talk about civil liberties yeah. and our rights and speech. A lot of these got pulled.
2: Yeah, a lot of them. Yeah, like half of them, at least. So YouTube? Yeah, YouTube is censors that. I mean, Planet Lockdown is like a banned phrase <laughs> on most of, most of the platforms. So
1: Maybe we won't use that in the title for the show. <laughs> <laughs> we'll sneak it in. Somewhere. Yeah, yeah. you mean, I want to. So, do, uh, do you want to show us yeah. the opening? Uh, yeah, sure. Let me let me take a look this at this. This is soft really it, it, it give you a sense of how I can't believe this is forty thousand dollars worth of movie making because it looks like a lot more. So, uh, kudos. Yeah, uh, here's. Yeah. Let's take a look at this. And uh...
2: we are in a in a uh, strange place, you know, in a strange place. In 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 the corona, corona lockdown, you know. That, that, that would be the okay. opening. That would be the opening. I have never seen
1: the great lawn so empty. This is not life. The government is destroying people's lives, just creating fear
0: making people behave rationally. I was very puzzled since the very beginning and I I was alert uh, to the fact that what we were living was not
1: quite right. It was uh, like a, uh, a programmed and orchestrated action which was almost in the same way all over the world. True, <laughs> true, <laughs> yeah. truer words. So yeah. so how how much time did you spend traveling around to do this?
2: Um, maybe six months. And where'd you find the all road? the,
1: you've got some of the leading experts. I mean, yeah. who, who are the three people we just talked about here?
2: Uh, that's uh, Knut Vikowski in New York. He's a top world-class epidemiologist who worked at uh, Rockefeller University for 20 years. And and um but retired, I think, or did his own stuff three years prior, so he's like free to talk. And then Alexandra, she's a very high-level geneticist, and in Paris, she's I think was the former director of the research director of the French NIH. And then there, this is Bishop Schneider, who's outspoken on um, on the topic. And where, where's he based? He's he's like the like adjunct auxiliary bishop, bishop of, ex- kazakhstan, of kazakhstan kazakhstan yeah. yeah but travels a lot the guy travels all the time
1: and then you had this extraordinary expert jay richards on later <laughs> yeah. on yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah
2: yeah so it's quite the odyssey going around meeting these people and and hearing their their perspectives and um yeah it was it's quite an experience
1: how did the making of the movie change you and your views and how will it change the people who watch it
2: i think it's almost like when we've been watching the world fall apart so it's like you kind of go through these stages of grieving you know like mm-hmm. like ross is like there's denial and there's bargaining and he, so i think i like everybody else has gone through that and so i i've come out the other side now and <laughs> and mm-hmm. i think it's important to 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 understand that that this whole thing is really trying to take everything from everybody. They're really it's they're kind of going for everything. It's like so I I really would encourage people not to give in to this measure than the next one, because it's going in a direction where you don't want to go in a world you don't want to live in. So Mm -hmm. people think, oh, I'm just going to go along. I'm just going to do this thing they're asking. And but it's just incrementally more and more and more. And then you're not going to get your freedom back by continue to go along with this with this Mm. this whole narrative it's just getting weirder and weirder
1: jay how dangerous has this virus actually been
0: well it depends on who we're talking about so it's very very low risk for young people uh there's about a thousand fold difference between its risk for young people versus old people so if you're over 70 and you have so-called comorbidities which means things like uh, heart disease, type two diabetes, obesity—then it can be bad. It's still still about a ninety-five percent survival rate, even then. But that's that's severe compared to uh, very, very, very mild effects for the young. And so, and we knew this within weeks. We knew this in March and early April of twenty twenty uh, that the right way to deal with this is not to lock everyone down, but to focus on the people that are at, at the greatest risk. Uh, from from sickness and death if, as a result of infection. But we didn't do that. We uh, basically ignored all the actual data we had about this. And so, and so I think, you know, the problem is you can't say, well, it's just like a mild cold. Well, it's like a mild cold for most people. Uh, and then it's it's more dangerous than the flu for, for older people. But that's, I mean, and that's just what we learned about the virus. So I forgive people in March that didn't know, but by April, uh, informed people should have been able to figure this out
2: yeah I mean by early May last year, some studies came out from Stanford and other yeah. places showing that it was like a flu level infection fatality rate, but there's just a total disconnect between that and the level of fear, and then all these statistics thrown at us so it's just it's quite messy and hard to mm-hmm. for the average person to make sense of it all, you know
1: but but when you and I talked over yeah. a year ago about this, there was a lot, there's still, we didn't, the jury wasn't in a lot, but now mm-hmm. we've got Sweden, we've got Florida, we've got, yep. we've yeah. got actual data about what different te- te- techniques used to mitigate this virus worked or didn't work. Yes,
0: absolutely. Well, and I mean, our book is filled with statistics about the effects or lack thereof of those lockdowns. I mean, that was the sort of nice thing that happened. Nice thing about federalism is that we had 50 states. Uh, Most had some form of lockdown, but they started at different times. They opened at different times and we could actually look at the spread of the cases and hospitalizations and things like that. And there's just no correlation between the lockdowns and and what the virus did, which is not at all surprising. But what's interesting is that James early on was noticing the vaccines. Whereas I could say, we all dip into this differently, but the way I entered into this was that I was aghast to realize that international public health officials were following an untested predictive computer model to figure out how dangerous a virus was that hadn't been tested. It was entirely speculative. We learned uh, very quickly that this Imperial College London model that the head of the World Health Organization was following was just completely useless for telling us the actual risk of the virus. It was just, you know, all the assumptions get plugged in, and guess what? It The, the model tells you what you told it to tell you. So that's what interested me and my co-authors is that this is gonna be a really, really bad policy because it's not based on reality. Uh, we weren't really focused on the vaccines. I wasn't focused on the, the, the drug companies or anything like that. But I do think there's a, a sort of deeper story about what was happening beforehand and why so quickly we pivoted to talk about the vaccines that I think in, in the, the film does a great job of laying out.
2: Yeah, and I think it raises fundamental questions of like, We can get get into the conversation of how deadly is it or or do the vaccines work or these kinds of things but it's i think we should step back and look at it like do do they have the right to 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 lock us down to Mm -hmm. to take these measures even if we had a 50 percent mortality rate disease you know i don't think the government has the right to to take the actions it does or even if the vaccines do work does that can they force that on people Mm -hmm. you know do we own our own bodies and that's a a fundamental principle of, of civilization of a society do you own your own body are you a slave or you, you know i mean it, it, it's I, I would encourage people not to get bogged down in mm-hmm. in these in this minutiae but really see this as a civil rights issue and and we don't right governments around the world have in tandem like ratcheted up their control of people and in a way that's really disturbing
1: it's a civil rights issue uh this is the bill walton show i'm here with jay richards and james patrick filmmaker jay's at uh, heritage foundation and we're talking about how the this whole virus uh is morphed into a civil rights issue but it's also morphed into a speech issue Mm -hmm. and you know as we were joking or maybe not joking before we started talking about this on air is that you know, there are just an awful lot of things you're not allowed to talk about. You're not allowed yeah. to talk about ivermectin. No. You're not really allowed to talk about whether the vaccines work or don't work. You're not allowed to talk about the pharmaceutical companies and whether they've got an agenda. Mm-hmm. Um, there, all, There's all this forbidden speech that's being monitored by the uh, social media companies, among others, but also the uh, the regular mainstream yeah. media.
2: Yeah. yeah, and it's just totally arbitrary sometimes, like... I did one interview with uh, uh, Allerberger, who's the chief epidemiologist of Austria. I interviewed him in Austria, and they, they called it medical misinformation and took it down. and I mean, he's, he's the chief of the, <laughs> medical authority of the country that I was in, doing the interview in.
1: Well, my, my favorite was that the, you, you got a hit piece uh, written about your, your film uh, by the Washington Post, the almighty Washington Post. Uh and but you look through and in the in the article there was an assertion well James says this and that's wrong James says that and that's wrong too and it goes on and on so I looked up who the author was and it's like this just like this nice nice little girl who you know got a degree in journalism from uh, (laughs) English from UCLA and and, uh, journalism from Columbia and she her, her beat was the Metropolitan beat she doesn't. She doesn't know anything about no. this science, and yet she's pronouncing, yeah, yeah. and it comes with the authority of the post.
0: That's right. Yeah. yeah and, and, then, and And the post comes with the authority of public health agencies. It is yeah, the they, irony is that the media, rather than the corporate media, rather than speaking truth to power, is actually. Uh, speaking authorized truths for power. I mean, that's the sort of irony. Yeah, and that,
2: that article makes a lot of claims that she clearly didn't watch the video she's criticizing. She was just ordered to do that, and then she's referencing these Hopkins sites. And you go to that; they're making unsubstantiated claims that aren't that that are invalid. And it's like the way this is working is like the media is not responsible. The pub, the public health agencies they're all t- doing their role and no one's really mm-hmm. can be held accountable for anything like johns hopkins has done a lot of damage in this and the the link in that article if you go read that site they're making unsubstantiated claims that you would need the several year long trial to prove and yet the post is able to just oh refer to that but it's it's fraudulent it's it's very it's troubling you know and then You know, it's confusing for the average person just dipping their toe in it, trying to understand Mm -hmm. what's going on, and they, they see these fancy names there. But they're being misled, and, you know.
0: I mean, Bill, I think this has been the sort of, the kind of key intellectual question from the beginning for lots of people. And I talk to people all the time that say, look, Jay, I mean, everything you're telling me makes sense, but are you saying that I should just not believe all these authorities that I'm hearing? Um, you know, public health authorities or media. Now, people aren't actually checking the CDC website. Uh, If you press them, usually what they know about what the CDC says is uh, what the headlines on the right-hand corner of their screen on Twitter is. And so what they're actually getting uh, is a a kind of consolidation of certain claims by social media. Or, you know, it's almost (laughs) ideal. It's better if they're at least reading the pages of the Washington Post. What they're actually doing is they're reading headlines that have been highly highly curated. And so it's not like they're actually accessing uh, official statements. But this has been the question from the very beginning. Um, If public health authorities were speaking outside their authority, if the media were serving the role of these actors and had no idea what they were talking about, if there was a social contagion that was justified under terms of public health, how would you tell? Right? That's the question we ought to be asking. Well, I wouldn't want to go along if it was just this crazy social contagion by saying, well, this is what the public health authority said. And so that's really, I think, it's sort of the prior philosophical question. How would you tell if you're in the middle of a crazy social contagion in which you thought all the official voices, uh, what they were saying actually wasn't true? And that's the sort of prior question we all need to ask ourselves. And those who, for whatever reason, we're less inclined simply to believe these people based on their authority. I think we're more likely to wake up early than not.
1: Well, I think the public trust issue is enormous. Mm. I mean, if anything is done, I can't think of anything that's done more to destroy public trust Absolutely. than the way they've handled this. Yeah, You know, you look at the CDC and, and you know, this issue of herb, herd immunity. Yes. The, the standard thing about viruses, we all know this, is it gets into the population, enough people get it, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden everybody's immune because that's the way it works. Well, the CDC um, changed the definition of herd immunity. <laughs> yeah. they, uh, the, newer, the new definition focuses on vaccines only, mm-hmm. and they took away the part about uh, building hurt, herd immunity through previous infections. Yeah. It's
2: gone. Yeah, the WHO as well, they did it a month before they released the vaccines last November or so.
0: I mean, so how many little details like that should a person need before they say, maybe I need to rethink my prior trust of these authorities? These yeah. are, I mean, Unfortunately, is I've got six thing. pages of details. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. So how many do people need before they say, maybe you know how to rethink that implicit trust?
1: But the conversation that we're having right now is not, you're, if you go on the six o'clock news, oh, you're, no. not, you're not hearing this conversation. Yeah. yeah,
2: And how like intertwined industry is with these agencies and how huge portions of their budget? I mean, with WHO, it's like over half, and CDC even. The, there's a CDC foundation. They over get
1: half of the de- WHO budgets from these pharmaceutical pub- industry these or healthcare. Yeah, industry.
0: these
2: public-private partnerships, or and the People's Republic of China. These sort of, yeah, yeah. They'll give yeah. They'll, these foundations give money for like project dedicated tasks, and so th- th- it's just it's over half the budget, and it's it, it creates a huge conflict of interest. So. They have inordinate sway over what the, the organization does. So that's why you see all these games with redefining things. Well, that's one of
1: the principal ways, for China's many ways. Mm-hmm. One of the things they do is they give a lot of research dollars to scientists and, mm-hmm. and medical professionals, and they, they basically buy influence by sponsoring their work.
0: That's right. And that's, I mean, this is, in some mm-hmm. ways, the most depressing part of the story is to discover this. Because, I mean, look, I, I believe that markets work when incentives are aligned properly, and a lot of people think, well, this is private industry, and they're competing for vaccines and things like this. This is the most sort of collusive, cronyist market that can possibly be imagined. Uh, If you actually look into the relationship between, say, the FDA and uh, private drug companies, this is not a functioning market. Um, One simple example, the fact that drug companies uh, are, are immune from being sued for instance, right? It completely destroys the natural incentive that a business would otherwise have. And so whatever trust you might have in natural market mechanisms, you should not, uh, you should not import that trust into this situation because the, the, the market is anything but free.
1: Repeat that. We can't sue the drug companies?
0: We can't sue... The, so the drug companies yeah, are immune. Yeah, absolutely. They've been granted well, immunity by the with, government. With regard to this vaccine. With regard to these vaccines. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So you can't. If you're injured, you can't see them. There's, I, I think, in U.S. There's one fund that'll pay out injuries, but it's like extremely low. How many there? are it's a sweet deal if you can get it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, as,
1: as a creature of Wall Street, as a creature of private equity, and yes. default mode as businesses, absolutely, have got to behave well because you'll you'll kill your reputation. If That's you right. be, if behave egregiously, so I, I discounted the the pharmaceutical theory. Oh yeah.
0: Theory. Well, because you think killing your customers is really a bad business model <laughs> under normal <laughs> circumstances, right? Yeah, but- <laughs> and, then,
2: and then they're putting out, they're putting out <laughs> questionable products, and then they're getting the government to do all the marketing. So, like, oh, oh, for all these products, it's, it's the White House, the media, and the CDC marketing the products. And then, like, this Comerity product, they, they, they didn't even have a website for it.
1: I don't know what the camaraderie
0: is. So that is the branded version of the uh, Pfizer vaccine, oh, which the, isn't. The, so, so the available. company
2: can't be said to market a questionable product. So they have the, the government market it. And it's like, it's very clever.
1: Well, let's do Pfizer. Pfizer, yeah. you don't think they're in it for the money? Uh, I didn't. Mm-hmm. I changed my mind. <laughs> and... The report came out last, I don't, I don't know, three or four weeks ago, Pfizer had earnings more than doubled in the last quarter, and they had earnings of $7.7 billion, up 133% from a year earlier. And so they've made 3 or $4 billion in just 90 days alone. And so if you're the executives at Pfizer, that's what you're paying
0: attention to. I mean, that's a huge incentive. And uh, look, I'd say if a drug company invents a drug that cures cancer, I would, I, I, I want them to respond to incentives and to make a lot of money. But that's not yeah. what's happening. And but, and this but, is, but that brings up yeah.
1: ivermectin. Yeah, because there are a lot of people, oh, yeah. among them, who believes ivermectin works. Yes. And mm-hmm. ivermectin has been around forever. The guy invented it, won the Nobel yep. Prize it's a so-called off-label drug. It was meant for this one thing but it also works well with the virus right. and yet you're not allowed to not only talk about it it's you know it's tough for physicians to prescribe
0: it i mean this yeah is... well
2: the the whole the whole reason behind that is to get the, to the emergency authorization of the vaccines is only valid if there's not a, a, a treatment available so explain we've that. seen this well so to get these vaccines rushed and on the market they they got an emergency authorization emergency use authorization and that that's only by law that can only happen if there isn't a treatment available for okay. for the issue mm-hmm. so they have to suppress all the the treatments and um this what Alexandra sort of called this uh like uh treatment nihilism so mm-hmm. they say okay vaccine only we all have to and they they're still telling everyone there's no treatment for Covid 19 and like so they said it so they they put out this protocol saying like you shouldn't you shouldn't do any treatment at all and then you wait and then you get to the hospital after a week if you're sick and then they, they they're giving people this remdesivir drug like sedatives remdesivir and intubation and you know a lot of doctors i interviewed think that that's what's killing a lot of people in the hospital so remdesivir is a highly shady drug it's there was one trial in 2018, Fauci funded that was that killed half the people in the trial. So I mean, a, it causes kidney failure. I mean, you should not. Is that, bet is, anyone that, is, that,
1: is that hyperbole or is that literally half the people in the trial?
2: In this in this study in 2018, yeah. So it's a it's a, it's a very toxic drug, to give the, it's like a chemo. You know, so mm-hmm. to give that to a, a flu yeah. patient is pretty but, I mean, irrational. The, the, but there's huge vested interest. Gilead has this, and I mean, there's. It's it's like three or four thousand dollars for a dose, and then Medicaid's giving a twenty percent kickback to the hospital. So there's huge financial interest. Whereas like uh, ivermectin's like I don't know fifty, thirty dollars, fifty dollars.
0: Ivermectin's out. You know you you can get it generically, and so the financial incentive to use that, apart from. The emergency use authorization which i think is really what's behind the campaign yeah. not to allow off-label use of, of any drugs it's i mean treat, mo- lots isn't. and lots of drugs that people are taking or be taken for off-label use it's usually up to the doctor and yet they're prohibited in this one case i think it was because of the emergency use authorization and i think there's kind of natural incentives is that uh, the alternatives coming online that you can make a lot of money with them nobody's making much money with ivermectin
1: this is the Bill Walton Show, and I'm here with Jay Richards and James Patrick, and we're talking about uh, everything you wanted to know about the drug companies, but were afraid to ask. Because <laughs> 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 then I've gone from skeptical about them to uh, pretty upset about their behavior.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, they they are responding to incentives. The the, the trick is that yeah, pe- us, people all in us company, market libertarians. We say that, they say but, they're, but they're, the the incentives are absolutely wrong this is the problem is that we my trust in the market mechanism isn't based on my trust in human nature it's that the markets when they're working properly incentivize people uh in beneficial ways but in this case uh drug companies and the actors are incentivized to curry favor with the regulators unfortunately
1: let's let's talk about what's next vaccine passports Mm -hmm. vaccine mandates i mean lloyd austin head of the Defense Department, just to say that if you don't get vaccinated, uh, he's going to ask you to leave the military.
0: I mean, this is uh, this is happening right yeah. now. Thousands of uh, members of the U.S. military bill have been uh, asked for exemptions, for religious exemptions. Not one, not one religious exemption to any member of the armed services has been granted. And so if you think about the effects of this, basically we're going to purge people who have, Uh, moral or religious objections and actually have the strength of their convictions and have moral courage. We're going to purge them from the military. Uh, That's an extraordinary thing, especially when you think the average member of the military is not at high risk from this virus.
2: In in the medical system too, that's really alarming that they're firing everyone who's a doctor or a nurse who doesn't want to take the vaccine. So you kind of you're making the industry a lot more dogmatic, mm-hmm. you know? Now, did
1: you talk to some of those people during your, during your making of your film? Which? Uh, the one, the medical professionals who don't trust the vaccine.
2: Um, some, yeah, a few, a few doctors, yeah. And they said? They said, um, what, what were their points on the vaccine? Yeah. I, I think they just said they're seeing a lot of injuries, that they don't think it's efficacious. I mean... Um, I didn't go heavily into the vaccine in the film. It's more like ten, twelve minutes in there. I go into the the mRNA technology and um, put a lot of clips of, of the CEOs of, of, of Pfizer and, and uh, Moderna talking about it. It's it's very experimental. It's it's well, sort of like going in and and getting yeah. your body to produce these, putting in these foreign RNA and getting your body to produce these these spike proteins and then. They say it goes away after some time, but it, it's... It's a rabbit
1: hole of complexity. It's, it's and, not certain. Yeah. It,
2: it's not clear. And I, I put a clip of Borla, the CEO of Moderna, and they're saying, if, from January this year, saying if they work, if, if they do what we think they'll do. And here so, we're deploying so, it to so, millions so, of people. So my
1: sense is that is, we agree with this statement. We're not sure about whether vaccines work or don't work, but it's up to the individual to decide what, whether it works for them. Well, well, I mean, this is, well yeah. these aren't
2: really vaccines. They're sort of gene therapies. And they, they they got the CDC to call them vaccines okay. because then you get the yeah. immunity. You get the 1986 uh, protection from liability. But it's more mental. of a gene therapy. And um, I threw in a clip of the Bayer president saying that. He's like, oh, if we didn't have a pandemic, no one would want to be taking gene <laughs> therapies. Well, and if
0: you look at the way they were initially authorized, it was for reduction in symptoms. And now all the official... People are now saying this uh, you know a, a year ago they were referring to these vac- as vaccines as if they conferred some kind of fundamental immunity we now know that that's not what happens uh, my sense uh, looking at the data is that these vaccines for people that are not in any way injured by them it probably does confer you know some kind of benefit in terms of reduction of symptoms it's just that that benefit itself wears off quickly uh you have to keep re-upping and I'm people not... should be able to make make decisions based upon their personal uh life situation as to whether that's a risk reward calculation they want to make as opposed to this kind of the
2: one size fits all for 330 million people like but the rush trial criteria to to get these passed was like doesn't even it was just for Moderna and pfizer was just uh passing one pcr test after a week and the reduction of one flu symptom so you could put anything through that trial the trials and, and are, get very, so are the, very the yeah. The, the, yeah. the original trials to get them authorized don't test for immunization of anything they could have done t-cell immunity they could have yeah. they could have done a proper trial that would see if the things were conferring immunity and that wasn't done so that no. they never really claimed to be immunized no, against anything but they knew by
0: calling them vaccines uh that people would sort of make the mental connection yeah and that's what almost everyone does look i mean i have Catholic churchmen and bishops who issued statements, Bill, uh, on the assumption that these are immunizing vaccines. So they didn't even manage to get the basic science right.
2: Yeah, I think people, people are taking them thinking they're getting an immunization. Yeah. And that claim was never made by the manufacturers. No. But the media is sort of confusing that in people's minds. The government's confusing that in people's minds. And when you look at the original the documents and the filings, they, they don't make any of those claims at all. So there's a real disconnect between what the documents are showing and then what what's the the public perception about when I don't think people al- also yeah anyway there's a, there's a whole rack of other issues we could get into with uh, it, there appears to be evidence that that not all the the vaccines are the same so there they could be dosage testing on the public
1: same label different vaccine inside the bottle
2: the various data does seem to show that that one one to five percent of the the vaccines are highly toxic over a thousand times more toxic than the other 95 percent and that that's where most of the injuries are occurring so that would indicate there there's there's variation in the products and you're not you don't know what you what you're getting this one one guy made a site where you can look up the batch numbers see if you're in a toxic batch mm. But it, that that raises a whole lot of questions, you know.
1: Jay, what's Heritage's uh, position on this?
2: So Heritage, uh, the policy position has
0: been <clears throat> fine with the vaccines. They look at or the the drugs. If if you want to take them, great. But very opposed to vaccine mandates or to drug mandates of any kind uh, for everyone, not just for ourselves. So we're challenging the the District of Columbia and the federal government on these uh, the initial mandates. Uh, but we think it's just a fundamental violation of people's civil rights and it's also vast overreach about what the government ought to be doing
2: yeah you don't want the precedent of the government saying they can force you to take an injection or a medical Mm -hmm. intervention i mean it violates all kinds of james you brought up the nuremberg
1: code in your film yeah I the nuremberg code that's like after the nazis yeah, I mean, experiments how, how, in the concentration Yeah, how can you case. have informed consent? So, what's consent? the Nuremberg
2: Code? The, the, the people need after, after the Nazi episode the, it said that it was that the was the Nuremberg Code was that people have to have informed consent if they're engaging in a, a medical experiment. That you have to the person has to know what they're what they're getting into. And with a lot of these products, the, the ingredients aren't published, long term effects aren't known. I mean, it's a complete question mark and. I don't think like the issues I was raising. People aren't aware of the products they're taking; they're just going and getting them, assuming they're
1: well. And the and the pushback so it, on that from the from the people who think these mandates are great is they say we're not making them do that. Well, well, <laughs> if you're restricting, true, them. except if you want to have a job, yeah. Go to a restaurant. Get on an airplane. You're um, still you're yeah, still I mean, free.
0: It's... Sort of like you're still free in North Korea to believe whatever you want to believe inside your head.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if you're if you're taking someone's rights away to to travel to have a job to enter businesses to have any sort of public life I mean yeah that's that's forcing that's coercion so So, creating a new apartheid of exclusion is just it's it's a really scary evil thing that's mm -hmm. going on and and it's all in the name of oh we're helping you I mean this is diabolical I mean it's not like people need to 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 wake up to to what's going on because this is the the rhetoric is getting weirder and weirder and crazier and more aggressive and you know now they're saying oh we're offering it but you know i i've seen a lot of pundits or or, uh, experts say well the force is coming but now we're in the offering stage but it's like the rhetoric is getting crazier and crazier nice
1: now but yeah
2: yeah i mean it's it's important we put the foot down force look like yeah Yeah. we got to put the foot down here because it's only going to get worse i mean People are like, oh, I'll do it. It'll get better. It's not going to get better.
1: I mean, New Zealand has internment camps.
2: Yeah, yeah, in Australia. So they're and they're openly saying, and you know, it's for unvaccinated people.
1: And didn't New York just start going have people going into restaurants to to see where yeah. people had their uh,
2: yeah
1: pulling and, people and, out? And you just... know, my my you know being the kid in me thought, well, you know, we used to get fake IDs to buy beer. Right, we'll just do a fake vaccine mandate. I'm but assuming there's a
0: bunch of those floating around already. Well, but yeah. they made it a federal. Oh, is that they've right? They've made it a felony. Okay.
1: It's not just a mist. It's a. It, I can't know what the penalties are, but it's not. Yeah. It's not some little thing. Chicago, yeah. I think, has made it a felony.
0: Really. Fortunately, they yeah. don't enforce the law in Chicago, so maybe. <laughs> <I don't. laughs> This is the one law. Yeah, law, it's, the one law,
1: mean, law it's like, it's the like in D.C. To... The only thing they get right is parking tickets. Yeah, that's right. Parking <laughs> yeah. tickets and <are> jaywalking. <laughs> I mean, now it's just these
2: paper systems. But I know a law was, was proposed. I'm not sure if it was passed to make a federal vaccine database for U.S. because now it's distributed. There's no central records of anything. It's done state by state. But, um, but, I mean, now it's just these paper informal systems. But, like, the Rockefeller and Gates foundations have, are funding... Uh, blockchain immunity records so that there'll be this un you know you can't hide it's an indelible record i mean this is really orwellian or or, way worse than orwell i Mm -hmm. mean this is really making like the nazi period look like a cakewalk i mean what's coming
1: this is the bill walton show i'm here with uh, uh, james patrick and uh, jay richards and we're talking about uh, the orwellian uh, aspect of all these mandates and these passports and the things that are coming let's we let's take the last segment here though to talk just about what we see happening with regard to civil liberties and also where we think how we might be able to get out of this Mm -hmm. Uh, you know you talk about the you know nazi germany china today has got social credit system they've got facial recognition they've got artificial intelligence that can you know basically if you get on a camera within about 30 seconds a computer in Beijing can do facial recognition to tell you what you are and if you're doing something they don't approve of you get a black mark on your social yeah. credit register mm-hmm. yeah
2: and that's where that's in Europe they're deploying these systems Israel just announced the same system what
1: what are they doing in Europe the same facial exactly.
2: recognition. well well the social credit they there there's a bunch of <clears throat> patents that that were filed this last summer talking about that using the your contagiousness your your threat level of this this phony virus threat, social credit score. So they'll say, oh, well you're, we deem you a higher threat so you're not allowed to have any rights or go here or there. So it, it's like this, this virus narrative is being used to voice this social credit system in the name of this virus. But none of this stuff is about a virus. I think that's sort of the the cover story or the distraction to the real main main act which is an an economic and political takeover and and the virus is to scare people into into going along with it
1: okay well i'm not a conspiracy guy but it's hard not to think about that but a conspiracy requires coordination among a few people and this seems to be thousands of actors and different types of actors i mean Mm -hmm. the winners here run from amazon and microsoft and apple and all the digital the whole digital world's a big winner here governments are a winner because they've increased their power pharmaceutical companies obviously I mean, mm-hmm. who are the other winners here that have a stake in seeing us uh, lose our freedom
2: i think the big the big banks and holding companies like seeing the economy just consolidate into all the little small medium-sized businesses going away and uh it's just a, a lot more industry around this technocracy around these Digitizing everything, making everything recorded—it's—it's just—it's pushing society in a direction we—we we don't want to go.
0: Yeah, I mean, and I don't think you have to. Th- I don't think this. I don't think you know that the virus was intentionally released or anything like that. I do think, and in fact, I would bet money that it was uh, leaked from a lab. I will take. A-
1: I will not take the other side of that. Bit. No.
0: I mean, I, okay. That I, but so, but that's separate from you know it being intentional. I do think that a lot of people. Uh, saw the pandemic as a wonderful opportunity to deploy their ideas. I mean, Klaus Schwab at the World Economic Forum said this quite explicitly, right? I mean, you're not supposed to talk about his Great Reset, but it's like, it's not a conspiracy. It's on the Internet. It's right here. It's, Remind it's, us, this the Great Reset The Great is Reset what? is a restructuring of global capitalism for the 21st century in a much more uh, it always sounds nice in a much more human-centered and sustainable way and <laughs> in which the robots will do all the drudgery and we won't own anything and we'll all be very happy. Uh, but he quite explicitly said that this is an opportunity for us to, to, to restructure things. And so this is not a you know, this is not some tin tinfoil hat crazy conspiracy. It's exactly what he thinks. That yeah, doesn't looks- follow Klaus Schwab orchestrated the whole thing. It does mean that he and people like him are very happy for this opportunity
2: yeah it looks like an attempt to create a sort of world communism where if they have everything digitized then then they could get it to work like communism collapsed because you can't in the Soviet Union can, yeah. collapsed because they couldn't coordinate prices and but now if they if they can literally tell everyone what to do and 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 micromanage everything digitally they're thinking people like Schwab think that it it has a a shot at working so I'm trying to get at a
1: definition here. It's not a conspiracy in the sense you've got. The little guy behind the curtain in Oz, with the machine out front, but it is a it is an elite consensus. It, see, this is the thing. I mean, this this is why there's, yeah. there's a consensus. That's the, of the way elites. to think
0: of it. Is that I say it, 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 there's no need for a single person to orchestrate things if you have a lot of powerful people, all of whom think exactly alike. Mm-hmm. Then it's sort of a conspiracy of consensus. And so, if everybody can be expected to do the same thing and to think the same way. Uh, you get what looks very much like coordination. You don't need three guys uh, controlling all this. Besides which, none of these guys are all that smart. They can't actually have predicted what would happen. In fact, I think most people, in fact, would have thought that lockdowns wouldn't work. I think most of the people that have implemented the lockdowns two and a half years ago would never have imagined that Americans would be so compliant. I would never have guessed it, but boy, we have been very compliant. I think
1: it's they a, didn't work to shut to stop the virus, but they did work to show how compliant people absolutely could be. are. I think that. it's
2: important to to. I, I like to encourage people to stay away from the debates of the lab leak or the mm-hmm. alternative treatments or, or the virus or this. It's really the main issue is like we're having our rights taken away, and 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 all all these things are excuses and distractions. We we cannot let governments do this to us, mm-hmm. and it violates our fundamental rights and. Whether it's planned or not, or lab, or this, that, I mean, it, it's really not important. The, the real issue is, like, they're going, to, they're taking everything from us.
1: My, you know, you've been talking, I, I love lines of action, if we can find one. Did, mm-hmm. did a line of action come out of your uh film, Yeah, I think, like,
2: would... don't, you know, boycott businesses that are asking for these passports, like, sue the government, protest. Like, don't, don't go along with this stuff, because you're not going to, win anything from it you're just going to lose everything i mean this is the the good
0: news about this is that almost all of it's happened because the masses have been compliant i think it ceases to happen when the masses cease to be compliant that's not a call to violence it's simply a call to just basic resistance The other thing is, if you notice that... You're just not
1: going to go get in the back of the bus.
0: Yeah, just don't do that. Yeah, just refuse to do it. And be willing to take a couple of personal hits for that. If everyone is willing to do that, if everyone's willing to just say, okay, this is an inopportune time uh, to to get up and walk to the front of the bus, but by golly, I'm going to do it. The second thing is that the courts have not been for the most part, very friendly to any of these things. So these mandates, especially that the federal government is trying and that President Biden is trying, I think are on very shaky ground legally. And so there's a heck of a lot of lawfare still, to, I think, to be yeah. implemented. And I think there's, I, I think there'll be more positive court cases coming down the pike.
2: Yeah, it's funny. Like, I interviewed this uh, lawyer in Rome, and he was saying, like, all the, the Supreme Court, the Constitutional Court was corrupt and was ruling for them, but all the lower courts were... were- Deciding that it wasn't constitutional, yeah. they constitutional court was these corrupt ones, and they were but I think if, if people fight it, like I interviewed a guy uh, in Virginia who is a small business owner and mm-hmm. he 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 sued and he won he you know absolutely and i think if if he, you, people will win in court if they fight it. So They do. Yeah. I mean, Todd Zawicki, uh, you
0: know, who, who won with George Mason. We had Todd. You yeah. had him on yeah, on yeah. your show. He's a perfect <clears throat> example. He had natural naturally acquired immunity. It was an irrational policy. But then the ruling, that the, the school basically granted him an allowance, but they didn't make it. It wasn't a sort of general decision. But the point is, is he's the only one that's tried this. Why aren't there thousands of professors that they've had it? Why aren't they doing it? And this is, part of the problem. This was part of the problem in Washington, D.C. It was left to one little Baptist church to decide that this crazy requirement that only 50 people can come in uh, was an unreasonable call. And it turns out the, the, the court agreed with them. But it was one little, one church that did this. Why was it at every church? Why was it at the Washington Archdiocese? It's because almost everyone is compliant.
2: Yeah. And so I, I kind of get into this in the end of the film. Is like, well, what does it take to be to say yeah, no let's wrap up here yeah, yeah. With
0: that. let's let's
1: be, continue
2: yeah because to say no is difficult i mean you have to kind of know who you are you have to look inside have the inner strength and courage and it's scary for a lot of people to go out on your own to so I, I i explore this in the end of the film on like what does it mean to say no what does it mean to know who you are and to have that strength and courage because it's it's um it's like a spiritual question of of what are we here in in alive on earth now. What what why are we incarnated here to living our lives to have these experiences? We if we remove the individuality and if we just go along with these technocratic things, we we, we lose the meaning the very meaning of life. So it's important for people to look look inside and realize who they are and, and have the courage to be themselves. And that's and that's the most fulfilling thing anyone can do. And that's, you know, it's I've had to do that in making this film mm-hmm. and and a lot of the people I interviewed they have have had to do that and it's it's You you, you might lose friends, but you're, you're gonna gain just as many Who are also saying no and and it's it's a really fulfilling experience Okay, I hate
0: to sort of say anything else <laughs> after that But that is exactly if if people forget everything else. That's the message. Just be willing to exercise personal courage moral courage uh, do the right thing and, and resist this. And if millions of us do that, I think it ends.
1: Jay Richards, senior fellow, the William E. Simon Senior Research Fellow at Heritage Foundation, and and James uh, Patrick, uh, filmmaker extraordinaire of the uh, film Passport or uh, back. What do we? Lockdown Planet. <laughs> <laughs> keep, we, Planet keep, Lockdown. Planet yeah. Lockdown. Yeah. Yeah. When's, it's coming out January 15th. January 15th, We can yeah. look for it on the internet. Yeah,
2: it'll be at planetlockdownfilm.com. It's released for free. I'm going to release it in 10 languages.
1: Great. So it's well, an international thank you. film it's a real for service.
2: international problem.
1: Okay, this has been The Bill Walton Show, and uh, thanks for joining us. You can find us on the com and YouTube and Rumble and all the other major audio podcast platforms. Uh, hope you learned something today. I know I did, and looking forward to have you back again. And I, uh, I mention YouTube optimistically because I think we've, we've furthered a debate here Mr. YouTube and we think we ought to keep this debate up on the channel. Yes. So, let's, keep, let's hope we've followed community yeah. guidelines guys <laughs> <laughs> All right thanks. Okay. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Want more? Click the subscribe button or head over to the to choose from over a hundred episodes. You can also learn more about our guest on our Interesting People page. And send us your comments. We read everyone and your thoughts help us guide the show. If it's easier for you to listen, check out our podcast page and subscribe there. In return, we'll keep you informed about what's true, what's right, and what's next. Thanks for joining.